Well, welcome everybody to Rise Church. So glad that you're out with us today. We are wrapping up a series today called You Asked For It with part four. And we've been having so much fun because y'all been sending in your questions and it's been great to see what you guys want to know about. And uh, we've been having a lot of fun the last three weeks and uh, we're, we're just excited to wrap it up today and uh, really just enjoy the rest of scripture with you. If you are a guest with us for the very first time, we're so honored that you're with us. We're so happy that you made it out. We always encourage our guests to come at least three times. How many of y'all know when you can go to a place. You can't really get the full experience the first time you go. And so we want to give you an opportunity to come back, check us out at least three times. We found that that gives people a well-rounded perspective of our church or the best you can. And I guess a first impression. So make sure you make it back here. We'd love to see you again. Also, if you are on social media right now, go ahead and check in with your Facebook app. And uh, yeah, it's okay. You can have your phone on in church. I'll just pretend you're not playing, you know, doodle jump or something. So uh, it'll be great. And uh, just go ahead and check in. Let everybody know you're at church. And uh, again, welcome everybody here. I also want to welcome our podcast listeners. We have a lot of people who listen to our church. Uh, you need to know this. There are a lot of people who support this church and listen who don't sit in here on a regular basis. And so just want to welcome them as well. I uh, want to give some ground rules to the series. We've been doing this every week because, you know, anytime I start talking about questions and answering them, and uh, this is a dangerous series because, like, you need to know this. As like a pastor, like most churches, they're like, hey, don't do this because, you know, you could get into trouble. It's like, no, 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 we'll just talk about Jesus. And when we talk about Jesus, guess what? Good things happen. And so uh, we're going to talk about Jesus. And uh, I want to give you a couple of ground rules to the series. The first is this, where the Bible is clear, I'll be clear. I'm a Bible teacher. I'm not a self-help guru. So if you want that, you know, Oprah, I think is still on TV somewhere. And uh, I'm, 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 I'm a Bible teacher. I love Jesus. I teach the Bible. And so I, I love uh, opening up scripture and teaching it in a way that makes sense. So where it's clear, I'll be clear. Where it's not clear, and I'll be honest with you, you know, I've been studying the Bible for almost two decades. I get it. Like the Bible can sometimes be vague, can be not clear, could be gray in some areas. And there's a reason for debate in some things. There really is. Because you want to know why? Many, many uh, very smarter men than me and women than me and scholars who studied it their whole lives have found different, have found to be on one side of the issue or not. And you, and, and you want to know why? It's because it's debatable. And so it, where it's not clear, I'll give you my opinion. Um, and uh, because of that, I will say, hey, this is my thought. This is my opinion on that. This is our take. Hey, that doesn't mean, hey, it, it might adjust over time. I don't know. You never know. I've been studying the Bible and I've noticed that when I first opened the Bible and how I saw a verse is different than now I see it now. And sometimes that's okay. So you need to know it's okay to kind of have healthy debate. In fact, the Bible is written to have conversation. You might not know that. It's a Jewish book and it was written to have conversation. And one of the most Jewish things in the world is to talk to people. And that's a lost art in our world today. Because right now what we like to do is get in on social media and make a statement and then throw like Bible bombs. You know what I mean? That's what we do. Like, well, here's the scripture for that. You're evil. And it's like, oh, okay. How are you ever going to reach people when you scream at people? So I, I, I'm of the Hebrew mindset. Let's have a conversation. So where it's not clear, I'm going to give you my opinion. And then um, I want to say this. Some questions we've gotten in are not appropriate. They're, pri- they're better answered privately because my goal is not to be right on a situation or right on a question. My goal is to get you to take a step towards Jesus. So like I can prove to you in black and white how I'm right, but I've noticed that when I do that, most people get more entrenched in their own value system. And so what I like to do is I like to go, hey, let's have a relationship. Let's talk about Jesus. Let me point you to him. And then all the issues and all the questions you have ultimately will get worked out. And so I want you to know that there's some things that are better answered privately. I've been a pastor for many years. And anytime I make a statement from the platform that is controversial in nature, and it doesn't mean I'm not controversial. Listen, I teach the Bible. So like I've had people leave because they're like, that's too hard, pastor. If you teach the Bible that clearly, we can't be here. I'm like, sorry, I love you. We're a Bible church. I can't help that. But, but like there, there, are, there are things and there are questions. There are some answered better privately. Why? Because I want you to see Jesus and I want to see you take a step towards him. So I'm, not, I'm unashamed about that. I'm unapologetic about that. And some things that we won't answer is not because I'm afraid or you're not teaching truth or you're not, that has nothing to do with it. I'm, I'm about strategy and growing people in Jesus. That's what I'm about. So that's what you should be about, by the way. That's your mission because if you're a Christian, Jesus asked you to do that too. So that's, that's a Christian thing. So anyway, um, I always say this just kind of at the beginning. We're in, in all the essentials. We're going to have unity, which means Jesus is the son of God. We are sinful. He lived a sin, sinless life, that there's one God. Those are all essentials. We got to agree on that. Otherwise, we're just really not on the same team. We're doing something different. You're, you're following something different. So that's some kind of an essential, and there's a bunch of them. But they're on the non-essentials, we're going to have liberty, which means we're going to, hey, we can talk about it. We can have debate. And you know what? You don't need to agree with every one of my opinions. Isn't that awesome to know you can come to this church and not agree with me on how I do things and how I do 
it's an, it's an opinion. I have a nose, you have a nose, we all have opinions. So like, it's all good. And so, um, but in, the, in everything, we're gonna have charity. So we're gonna have love. Our posture in this is humility. Deepen our understanding, not deepen our divisions. Everybody shake your head and say, okay. okay. All right, we made an agreement. God saw you, you have to do it. Be loving. It's all good. It's going to be okay. Let's pray. Father, we just love you today, God. Thank you that you sent Jesus, your son. Lord, we, we want to model after you. He was, he was uh, honoring to people. He was loving to people. He was truthful to people, God. He, but ultimately, he changed people. and He gave them new life, and we're just thankful for that. And Holy Spirit, we just pray that today, Lord, you would just speak to us in a way that, God, we would hear your words and hear your wisdom. God, maybe open up our hearts to new understanding. God, how maybe we saw an issue. Maybe we have a different view, and that's okay. God, help us not to be right. Help us to make a difference in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right, question number one. Question number one. What would you suggest to a new Christian on how to read the Bible, and where did you start? You know, I get this question a lot, you know, because a lot of times we're, we're, we're what we call a, a church that reaches people, and I know it's kind of odd because some churches are, like, not like that. I don't know if you've noticed that, but, like, some churches are not like that. Some churches are about reaching Christians. And so, like, when you say stuff like Christian's words and Christian things, to Christians, they understand that. And so they're like, oh, well, yeah, like, so they say stuff with, like, King James Version, like, words, you know, like, they have uth at the end of everything. So, thou if shouldeth, not doeth that if, or you're a sinner if. You know, it's like, okay, I, I, you know, it's like, that's how you, but well, since our church, we're designed to reach people who don't know God, you know, um, you, we, we actually have this question come up a lot. So, um, I'll give you three thoughts real quick on, on if you're a new Christian or if you're, hey, look, honestly, if you, even if you've been following Jesus for a while, you need to go back and do this. But um, I'll recommend starting with the gospel. So, the Bible's not, uh, not written in chronological form. It's not a... Um, uh, it's not like there's, uh, uh, there's a beginning and end to it, but not in the traditional sense where, you know, it's like a, a traditional kind of story. It's a lot of different books over a lot of, by, written by a lot of different authors and different periods of life. And so there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. I recommend to all new Christians to start with the Gospels, which is the uh, starting of the New Testament. And so that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or they're the, what we call the, the, uh, the lives of Jesus or the synoptic Gospels. And so John, I actually recommend out of all four of those, I recommend John. So I would actually recommend you starting with John and just reading about uh, the life of Jesus and then go back and read the other gospels. That's kind of one way. The other way I would say is also if you're new to Jesus and new to the Bible, uh, get a translation. The Bible's written in multiple translations or transliterations. So sometimes you have word for word translations. Sometimes you have transliterations, which are word for thought translations. I would recommend if you don't know, like if you've never read the Bible, read it in a translation that maybe is a transliteration, which gives you kind of a thought for thought or an idea for an idea, which means you can start with what's called the NLT, the New Living Translation. It's a very readable, easy kind of sentence for sentence word flow through it. Um, you don't get any extra credit for reading it in King James. Like, you know, like, I know like there are some people who believe that, like, no, no, I learned on King James. It needs to be King James. Like the Bible wasn't written in King James. Okay, that's a translation. So like, I'm just saying, there's nothing wrong with that. If you want to read that, that's great. That's a great translation of the Bible. But I'm saying there's no extra credit. So like, start with getting the word of God in your heart. And if the translation keeps you from doing that, don't just stick with that translation because you feel like you have to be holy. I'm telling you, that's like, that's a thing. So like, just start with something that you could read. And then the last thing I would say is um, maybe get a Bible reading plan, something like that, that kind of help you be systematic. I know some of you are like artistic, like don't put me in a box. No, like you need a box. Start with, you know, reading one and then reading two. And then, you know, like in the Bible reading plan, get something that's simple, not where you're reading like 18 chapters a day. You don't get extra credit for that. Like, just start with how about one verse and understanding that verse and deep diving in what it means. I'd rather you know one verse in the Bible in your heart than you know all of them and don't know anything what they mean. That's just my take on it. You don't have to agree with me. It's all good. Group hug. Next question. All right. Uh, in reference to the service a few weeks ago, when do you know when it's time to throw the fish back <laughs> or to give up on a person? Can people actually change? Uh, so this, this is uh, the fish. So for those of you who weren't here, a few weeks before Easter, we talked about, we did a series called Go Fish. Everybody say Go Fish. Go fish. And the whole goal of the series was to reach people who don't know Jesus. Like God called us to be fishers of men. And I talked about in that what the referencing is. I talked about some of us don't fish because we think they're, they're throwbacks. And so like, you know, you get them, you fish for them. They're not any good. They hurt you. They're mean. And so you throw them back because you're like, I don't want to reach you for Jesus. I don't want you to know God. I actually don't want to see you in heaven. You're terrible. 
Bible. And so, you know, so you, we're, we, we act like that a lot. And so um, what you're af- referencing is, is like, how do you deal with, you know, difficult people? I did a whole series, if you guys want, go back into the, I kicked off our church actually with a series called um, Crazy Makers. Literally, it's called Crazy Makers. And it's how to deal with difficult people. So I'd recommend go back and listen to that message series. Um, you can find it on our podcast or on our website. But a couple of thoughts I would say is, um, number one, you need to, what does the Bible say about this question? You need to understand like, Jesus, um, and I think God's expectation for us is to love people. Now, let me, let me encourage you in this, um, and this is, this is an encouragement. It might not sound like it. The law, you know, or, or what we call find the, the Old Testament law um, inside of Scripture, inside of the Old Testament, how kind of the Ten Commandments. There was only, there was, the people think there was ten, there's not. There was like over 600 commandments in the Bible. But, you know, what God was telling us in the commandments for the Old Testament, his standard of loving people was like, his, this is summarized like this, and Jesus actually does this in the New Testament. He summarizes it by saying, you know, if you want to love people, love people like God has loved you, you know, or like, like you want to be loved. In fact, he does this in scripture. He says, so in everything you do, others would have, um, do to others what you would have them do to you. So he was saying like, Hey, this is the, this is the standard for old Testament law. Like if you want, like treat people the way you want to be treated. It's kind of like, you know, like that's the golden rule, like treat people like the way you want to be treated. That's like one level and one standard. And so that's the old Testament kind of the law thinking of loving people. And that's a good law. Cause like, I want to be treated nice. So I, that naturally make me well, if that's the case, then I want other people. I want to treat other people nice. Well, Jesus comes along, and then he wrecks shop, and then he says, "Well, that's nice, but I'm actually going to make it harder." Because what he realizes is that you can love people the way like you want to be loved, but you honestly, at the end of the day, it's still fleeting. And so his level in John chapter 13, he says, "A new commandment I give you." So he kind of restructures things. He says, "Love one another as I have loved you." So he goes, "So like Old Testament said, love people the way you want to be loved, but like what I'm saying is, is now you can't even have an excuse to." Love. So like some people, you know, be like, "Well, I don't care if people like me." Then you treat people like that. You know what I mean? So he's like, "Okay, well, I'm going to make it harder. I, you have to love people the way that I've loved you, which is sacrificial in nature." It's driven in grace. So he kind of makes it harder. And I always find it funny because people are like, well, Jesus, it's easy. No, it's not. With Jesus, it's actually a lot harder because you've got to do it for real. You've got to love people for real. You can't just say you're a Christian and then go out and flip someone off, right? Like, so you've got to actually love people and actually love people. Like, love, like, love people. Like, people you don't like love people. And so he says, like, so I think he adjusts the standards. So I think we need to be clear, like, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, you need to love people the way Jesus loved you, which means an abiding, consistent, ongoing, regular love that doesn't stop. So that's tough. So I would break up this question in a couple of things. The first one I would say is, um, the, the first, there's a couple types of relationships. I think so when it comes to missional relationships, so for instance, the reference to that fish uh, question, you know, I was talking about missional relationships, which means the people you are trying to reach. Like you connect with people in the world and they're people that you're trying to reach for Jesus. I don't believe there's any throwbacks. I don't think you give up on anybody. I don't think there's any, there's never a time where I kind of go, you know what, you're just, you're just not worth it. You're, God, it. They're worth it to God. And if they're worth it to God, they should be worth it to you. That's the, that's the bottom line. They, they, if they're worth it to God, they need to be worth it to you. So I think missionally, when you're trying to reach people for him, never give up. Right. Never throw them back. No matter if they hurt you, no matter, never give up. Now outside of, you know, weird, crazy things. But like, people are going to be people and they're going to be weird and they're going to have weird moments. Never give up on trying to reach people. So I think missionally, there's no throwbacks. That's just kind of my, my take on it. We're about reaching people and building lives. That's our mission here at Rise, just so you guys know if you're new here. Our mission here uh, at Rise is to reach people and to build lives. Well, you can't build lives unless you reach people. So you have to reach people, which means you have to go fish. So I think missionally, we have to be constantly reaching people. Now, I will say outside of that, other relationships, I would kind of classify as like quote-unquote friendly relationships, whether they're romantic or not. Um, I do think there are some cases where you do need to have some throwbacks, where there's some people in this world where you just, you got to be done with them. And I think they're the exception and not the rule. So I think like the exception is an abuse case, an area where somebody's abusing you, somebody's hurting you, there's violence involved, there's sin involved. Like when you're, you're now, you are now no longer influencing them and they're influencing you and they're now pulling you down and now you have now become the thing you're trying to help someone with, come on. And I think in that case, you're kind of like, okay, you got to take a step back and go like, man, I got to focus on me. So I make sure that I'm ready to be on, focused on that first relationship. So to me, I think there are some moments where you want to be open to test, quote unquote, throwing them back or giving them space. Or I said this last week, I said, uh, godly relationships are conditional, which means they're not unconditional, which means you're going to have to have a moment with some people where they're abusing you and hurting you. And it's not ungodly to break connections with them. 
And if you think I'm wrong, that's okay. It's America. You have the right to be wrong. So I think <laughs> like, like, I think like most people and most people who teach that type of gospel are manipulating and misusing scripture. So I try to look at the totality of scripture. I never see that. God never asks you to put yourself in danger to reach someone, just so you know. Like, that's not biblical. So, but I do think that there are some times where we might overly kind of like, well, I just don't like them. And then you classify them as like dangerous. Like, come on. Like, I think you know. And so um, I think balance is, is the key. I will say this, just my final thought on this type of idea, this question. Give people what Jesus gives to you daily, and that's grace. This is my thought. And I know people are crazy, so I'm, that's my thought. All right, third question. Uh, in reference to a service a few weeks ago, that's the same question. Okay, there we go. Yep, next question. Do you have it? I'll read it. Awesome. I was baptized as an infant. Should I get rebaptized now that I'm an adult and have an understanding of my faith? You know, I get this question a lot. You know, our church does because we are in, depending on the part of the country you come from, you know, I'm from California. Nobody asks this question because nobody was baptized as a kid in California. Like no one, no one goes to church in California. So like I'm from there, I'm born there. I'm a Californian, so I can make fun of them because I'm one of them, okay? We have issues. So like there's a reason I moved. So like I'm in California, we never had that question. In Missouri, we had this question, it was high Catholic there. And here it's high Catholic. So there's a different vibe. There's a different, there's a very religious culture here. And so a lot of us grew up in what we call traditions. Everybody say traditions. And you need to know this, like inside of church circles in the history, I'm a, I'm a church history guy, since, since Jesus was on the earth, in fact, before that, since the law was established, since people were here, traditions started. And traditions are like things that have happened over time, and they were good ideas that became, in some people's minds, God ideas. Okay, go with me here, okay? And, and they're not bad. They're just not technically godly. And so sometimes it's not that it's right or wrong. Sometimes it's just incomplete. And so I don't necessarily down you. So like, for instance, if you come from a different religious background, or you come from no religious background, there's nothing wrong with you growing up and steeped in major tradition. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. Tradition's good. It provides safety. It provides an area of, honestly, I would much rather you grow up in some level of religious tradition than none. It's a little easier for us to sometimes help you get to understanding the things of God or having holy. Like, I grew up in a really, really religious denomination of Christianity, sect of Christianity, and it was like hardcore, y'all. Like, hardcore. Like, I couldn't go to the own, I couldn't be a pastor in that own church. Hardcore. Like, crazy, super legalistic. But I still find value in growing up that way because it taught me to honor God. It taught me holiness. It taught me the love of Jesus. It taught me some things. And so I had a foundation to build on. So I don't think that's wrong. You come from tradition. I will say you want to make sure you know what's tradition and what's Bible. And some things in Christian worlds are tradition and not Bible. Some things in Catholic world are tradition and not necessarily Bible. Some things in non-church stuff is tradition and really not Bible, right? And so, like, we just got to be careful that we just don't, like, take a good thing and make it a God thing and say, like, that's not what it is. So what is baptism? I want to teach you just a real quick. I can't do this question fully justice. I can teach a whole sermon series on it. I've done that before. But I'm going to just give you some highlights, and then I want you to be able to allow grace to fill in the gaps, okay? Have grace for your pastor. Say grace. Okay, so what is baptism? Baptism is what we believe. It's what we feel like the Bible teaches in its totality. is an outward expression of an inner decision we made to follow Jesus. So baptism is not, an, is not the way you earn salvation. Because you can't earn salvation. God gave us as a gift salvation. Jesus died on the cross for our salvation. There's nothing we do. You can't be good enough. You can't be dunked enough. You can't be anything enough to be saved. That's the point of grace. So the gospel message is that we're bad. He's good. Jesus is amazing. And now we have a relationship with God. Like that's good news. Like that's good news. So you don't have to be good to be around God. Isn't that awesome? Like that's so awesome because that's not the church I grew up in. They said, you better be good or God don't, God's going to get you. You bet. Are you good? Because if you're not good enough, walk out these doors. You're not allowed to be in church unless you're good. I'm like, the church is a hospital. That's where the, it's where the non-good people go. So we can go celebrate the one who is good. 
So like, that's the message of the gospel. So we got to know, like, I, again, I know this is like, I'm, I'm kind of tipping some sacred cows here, okay, depending on how you grew up. But trust me, okay, the totality of scripture, all that the New Testament teaches and all that Jesus was about, salvation is not about us. It's about Jesus and what Jesus did. So if that's true, then baptism can't be our way to salvation. It's just two plus two equals four, not 18, okay? So if that's the case, then what does baptism mean for us? Baptism for us is what Jesus did. Why should we get baptized? That's a question that kind of runs up. So what is baptism real quick? I want to give you just the, the, the Greek word for baptize, just so you all know, inside scripture means, uh, is, is baptizo. It means to immerse or to submerge. So the very literal translation of it is to get you underwater. And some people I need to hold under longer than normal, right? <laughs> I get it. But like, we just need to get you under. And so the goal is for you to go under, be buried with Christ, raised to new life with him. That's why when you see our baptisms, people come out, they're screaming, they're, you know, their hands are lifted up. Why? Because there's new life in Christ. And that's awesome. And that's what we do. But it's not something you did to seal your, your eternity with God. Jesus sealed your eternity with God. His blood's the only thing you need on you. Okay. So what does baptism mean for baptism is a symbol for us. It's an idea that we get to show off to the world. Jesus lives in my heart. Okay. That's how the totality of scripture. Now I get it. Again, I'm, I'm a study of religions. I love to study uh, church and history. And some people can come to the, the idea of being baptized as an infant, like, hey, and, and, and I get how some people get there. Honestly, I do. They, they've taken maybe what some traditions of church fathers early did, some exceptions to the rule because some people are like, well, bad, pastor, what about where there's like no water? How do you baptize people? Okay, there's an exception. You don't make a, a, you don't make a theology on exception. That's a word for somebody. And so that's an exception. And so we want to just walk through the what Bible says. So why should you get baptized? And why did we come to this conclusion? Number one is this. It's honestly, it's, a, it's to follow Christ's lead. Jesus got baptized. In Mark chapter one, it says this. It says, one day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and John baptized. Everybody say baptized. <laughs> baptized. It submerged him in the Jordan River. Now, I know some people would kind of go like, and, and there's some scholars out there that try to like walk through it and show like, well, I don't know if he really went in and how it was said and how was it? Come on. Like uh, Christian, thousands of years of Christian orthodoxy believe Jesus was submerged and baptized. There's a reason it says to immerse. So we follow Jesus's lead. That's why we do it. So like, why do you do it then? What's the point? We want to follow what Jesus does. Here's the second reason. It's an act of obedience. Jesus actually commands us to do that in Matthew chapter 28. This is kind of where we get reaching people, building lives. It says, therefore, go and make, reach people, and build lives. Oh, y'all didn't know we got it from the Bible. Okay, so then, and then of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so we do it because Jesus told us to do it. And Jesus is not my homeboy. He's my God. And so, like, I just do what he says. He's King Jesus. And so the king says something. Have you ever noticed, like, if you ever watched a show where there's a king, there's no debate. Like we're used to like democracy and republics and like, hey, I want to vote. There's no voting kingdoms. <laughs> Jesus said it. Okay, that's good for me because I'm his follower. That, that's just kind of what it is. So like I think, so I think sometimes we can kind of, uh, you know, and again, so I, I, know this, I know all the debates. I know all the, the ideas, you know, like Paul said, you know, bap, you know, repent and be baptized so that you may be saved. You need to understand that was a, that was a descriptive thing for people he was trying to talk to and reach. But if you look at the totality of scripture, nobody did that to, to seal salvation. So I will say this. So here, here, just in conclusion, baptism is incredible. And if you were baptized as a baby, that's great. Like, there's, no, I'm not, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. That's great. I'm, I'm glad you did. I'm glad you were baptized as a baby. I'm glad you had that moment with your family and that happened. But because we believe it's an outward expression of, what you, of a decision you made, then I would encourage you as an adult to get baptized so that you can have that moment, so that you can have that experience to say, look, I want to show the world, have an outward expression of, what I, of a decision I made, right, of a decision I made. And so we, we, I would encourage you to do it in that aspect. I always explain to it like this, like, um, and this is just, again, just go with me. Um, when I got married, you know, I, I, I stood at an altar and I, I had a ring given to me. And I wear a ring because I'm married. Now, the ring doesn't keep me married. The ring didn't make me married. The ring doesn't do anything but symbolize what? Marriage. 
And that's what we kind of believe baptism is, okay? I'm trying to give you a word picture of how we think about it theologically because it's accurate. It's a symbol of of a decision you made. You already made it. You made it in your heart. And so what we do out there, you know what it does? It's just a symbol. It's showing God and the world that you are buried in Christ and you are raised to new life and you have a picture and you have an idea. You love it and all that. I love that. That's fun. And we do it because Jesus did it and we do it because Jesus commanded it. And so again, again, listen here, miss, don't, don't, don't run out of here and get mad at me. If you were baptized as a baby, that's awesome. If you never get baptized as an adult, I, I, I'm not going to say anything to you. You are welcome at this church. You could serve at this church. I will love you like you did. But my encouragement is that you do it because it's awesome. And I'd love to celebrate it with you. And we would love as a staff to baptize you and to celebrate with you and to be like, this is incredible because God made a decision to, to speak to your life and to do things. And you, you, you made a decision to follow Jesus. And that's awesome. And so that's going to be my encouragement to you. And so just shameless baptism plug. The next one is June 23rd. You can sign up for it right now. All right. Um, it's all good. Group hug, okay? It's all good. All right. Number three, four, five. I don't know which one we're on. All right. Is it okay for Christians to curse? <laughs> oh, great. I feel like I've, I've, I, I had the other day, I was talking to my wife, and I was like, I think I said a cuss word on the platform. Because, you know, I speak so fast. How many of y'all know I speak fast? Like, yeah, amen, pastor. Okay, whatever. <laughs> you do this, all right? No, it's, um, you know, sometimes I was saying something so fast. It's like stuff comes out. And it sounds like I cuss sometimes. Like I had somebody come up to me and say, you cussed on stage. I'm like, I did? I'm so sorry. Like, please forgive me. Uh, but anyway, so uh, how many of y'all think Christians can cuss? Raise your hand. Let's have fun in here. Anybody? Anybody think Christians can cuss? We got one, two. Three, four, any other brave souls? Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Awesome. It's like when somebody, it, you just got to get it started. It's like that slow clap. Oh, someone else is doing it. Yeah. Let's go. It's grace. Grace. Yes. All right. Um, let me just give you what I think. Uh, this is my thought. Here's what I know. There are no modern day curse words in our per- current like Torah or scripture. So it's like, there is no thou shalt not say the beep word, whatever, you know? <laughs> and so because of that, you got to have to, we got to look at Bible for principle. Okay. So you got to look at Bible for principle. So Ephesians chapter four, I'll just give you a couple and I'll give you my opinion and then we can move on before I make everybody. I'm just trying to like this is a series where I'm like, if I haven't made you mad yet, this week I'm going for the, just the last of you who are not angry. All right. It says this, Ephesians chapter 4, do not let any unwholesome talk. Everybody say unwholesome. unwholesome. Unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others according to their needs, that, is, uh, that it may benefit those who listen. Um, another one that, that is kind of interesting is this Proverbs chapter 12, and it says the words, everybody say words of the reckless pierced like sword. So, you know, I think if you look at the totality of scripture, okay, this is just, again, this is my thought on it. Um, it, it, I think you can come to a conclusion on if God cares about your words. So I think number one, God cares about what you say. Words are powerful. Words have power. Words have meaning and they, they matter. So you can't just be like, oh, words don't mean anything. Words do mean something. Words mean stuff scientifically. Words mean, mean stuff spiritually. They word, the words mean stuff theologically. God cares about how we talk. So you need to understand that God cares about how you talk. But I do see the other side of it because you can kind of go like, how do you define unwholesome? Because I don't know if you guys travel, travel the world or been to other countries. Like there's a lot of words that are considered um, like curse words here that aren't considered curse words in another country. So you kind of go like, well, if it's a curse word here, how can it be a sin here and not in another country? It doesn't have to be universal for it to be. You see what I'm saying? So there, there's a debate amongst that because you can debate it depending on the culture. If you go to like, if you go to especially like non-Christian countries or Christians who are post-Christian, post-Christian societies who have moved maybe several, you know, 50 years past Christian values systems, you know, there, there's not that... Um, there's no, you know, we, it's like, it's funny how much we live. Our, our sin indicator is determined by whether or not it's a rated R movie. Like the MPAA rating is whether or not it's a sin. You, you, we think like that. And so I think we have to be careful, like how we define that. I, I mean, I had a, I had, I'll give you an example. Um, a friend of mine who was a worship leader, she moved from South Africa and she moved here to the States. And so she, she was incredible. I mean, this woman could sing 
I mean, the house down. She was incredible. The, I mean, the Holy Spirit moved from this. It was, it was eerie how amazing. Have you ever been around just a worship set? I mean, like our team is so incredible. Like when God just comes in and he's a part of that and the Holy Spirit moves. It, there's just some people who have the gift. And she was just, wor- and then she walked off. I'm in the back room and she's cussing like a sailor. And I'm like, oh, and it messed with my theology. Because I grew up in a denomination where it was like, you better not even sound like you maybe had a thought about saying a curse word. Because then God's kicking you out. So you see what I'm saying? Like, you got to be careful because it's like, I don't understand how that, how do you reconcile that? So, so I think that that's something. So I'll give you a couple of thoughts. Number one, uh, influence is gained and lost in language. You need to know that. Like, that's true. So like I taught our team the last week, we were teaching, I do like we these pre-huddles for our team when people, before y'all come in here, you need to know there's like a hundred people in here and we talk and we're just like, hey, how can we serve you better? And one of the things I talked about is your, your, your speech. What you say matters. You gain, influence is gained and lost on words. And don't tell me it isn't because you can't walk into a place you're trying to get a job and just say whatever you want to say. So don't come up to me and be like, they should know my heart. They don't know your heart. They're not cardiologists. They don't have an x-ray machine. They know what your mouth says. So I'm saying, like, words do matter, and influence is gained and lost. The third thing I would say is, who is watching you? Like, it matters what, what people are seeing and how they see you. And what you, how about your kids? There's nothing more, like, sad to me than to see people who don't care about their influence on their kids. So you say whatever you want to say, acting like it don't matter and acting like it's not going to affect them. There are people watching you. Your kids are watching you. You are an influence to them. So you could be leading them to hurting their own lives simply because they know only what mama or daddy did. And so they might have lost an interview. They might have lost influence. They might have lost something, not because they're not a good person or you didn't teach them the ethic of good hard work, but because they got a fresh mouth. You just sass mouth. You just got a mouth on you. Some people need to learn to be quiet. And it's like not just unwholesome. Like unwholesome is not just curse words. So I think it's bigger than that. Because I know some people who don't cuss and they have a potty mouth. And you just suck as a person because you, everything that comes out of you sucks. Is that okay? Can I just say that? Talking about unwholesome talk as our pastor says sucks. All right. So I'm just. Sorry, Lord. I told you this is not a perfect church. Anyway, but seriously, like I know some people are so hateful with their speech in the name of God that you think that that scripture doesn't apply to you. It does. So I think wholesome for us is defined on what Ephesians 4, the last part of Ephesians 4. I think the question should be answered with a question. So I don't do this a lot, but I'm going to answer your question. I'm going to do what Jesus did because Jesus, Jesus juked a lot of people like this. So they'd ask him a question, and he'd ask them a question. So I'm going to ask that person who asked this question. Here's how you answer that question. It's found in Ephesians 4. The question you should ask yourself is, will it build or will it benefit? Will it build or will it benefit? You can make an argument to me, biblically, that it's okay for you to cuss. I believe that. I, honestly, I think that's okay. I get it. I get it. But will it build or will it benefit? Will it build or will it benefit? Will it build others? Will it benefit others will it benefit or build you so let's just I'm, I'm i'm making it harder on you right now i'm saying so for those of you who are like he said it's okay to cuss no 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 i'm just telling you like let's move it let's make it even harder i'm talking about all unwholesome talk and i think it was written like that because i think the writers of the bible understood that cultures were going to change and that in every culture there's something a little bit different and every place you go there's going to be something a little bit different unwholesome talk's going to change but it's still unwholesome so my answer to you would be, does it benefit or does it build? Just because you can doesn't mean you should. I, you might say it's not sinful, but that don't mean nothing to me. That don't mean nothing to me. I personally, this is my personal conviction, I try not to cuss. I try not to speak that way. I try not to do that. Am I perfect at it? No. No one is. And if you say you are, you're a liar. You're a liar. That's okay, because I'm a liar too. We, we need Jesus. That's why we're all here, right? We're a hospital. So I try not to do that. 
Because I don't want to reflect those who don't know God. And I've noticed that those who, I'm not saying all, because there are Christians. I've seen, again, I just told you, Christians are the worst at this. Okay, so, But I do think that like I want to reflect wholesome talk. And I think culturally, you can define that for yourselves. You can make anything whatever you want it to be. If you really want it to, I'm just telling you, my opinion would be, God, I think it cares about how we speak and whether it builds or whether it benefits. You answer your own question with that one. Okay, just keep going. <laughs> just be graceful. All right, um, how do I overcome addictions in my life, small and big? Um, it's a big question. Um, I, I wanna, I wanna, I'm going to, again, all these questions I can't do justice. We're going to do, just so you all know, these are great for us because our church goes back, and now we know what to answer in a sermon series format so I could teach in the topic. I could teach the topic in a bigger format. Isn't that cool? So like I know, so we can be relevant. So we're actually teaching something that you actually want to hear about. So I'm going to go deep dive in a lot of these topics. I'm just giving you kind of an overlay. Um, but this particular one um, is, is interesting. I'm going to read you what uh, addiction means, um, addiction as it's defined. Addiction is a condition that, is result, that results when a person ingests a substance or engages in activity that can be pleasurable, but the continued use and act becomes compulsive and interferes with ordinary life and responsibilities such as work, relationships, or health. Users may not be aware that their behavior is out of control, and often they aren't, and causing problems for themselves and for others. And so I just kind of want us to be on the same page of how I'm going to answer this particular addiction question. And um, the Bible has a lot to say about addiction, just so you know, so just so, because it doesn't say, you know, marijuana or heroin or alcohol or what they're just because it doesn't highlight your particular brand of whiskey or whatever you know what i mean it's not like okay well it's not in there then i don't have to worry about being addicted to it i think god speaks a lot about addictions and the way he speaks about it is things that have control over you things that you look to for what only god should be able to give you what we call idols I've talked about this before in multiple sermons leading up to this, so I'm not going to go into a big idle talk, but I will say this. I think we need to realize that addiction is almost always rooted in a lie. Addiction at its core is rooted in a lie. It's promised you something it can't deliver. And I think sometimes we say these statements. We say it like this. um, If I do whatever, I will get escape from my terrible life. That's a lie. Like, if I'm not loved, I'm not loved, so I am do whatever. That's a lot. Like, it's rooted in a lie. I don't have need, my needs fulfilled, so I look at whatever you're addicted to. It's a lie. Like, I'm not good enough, so I, whatever. That's a lie. So if I blank, if I do whatever the addiction is, then people will accept. Like, all of it is rooted in a lie that the enemies put in your mind to to say, go do the thing you think is going to fill you up because the more you do that, the more you'll be stuck in it. And eventually what will happen to you is what the enemy wants to happen to you, and that's to kill you and destroy you. He wants to keep you away from God, which ultimately fulfills everything that you're struggling with anyway so that you lead ultimately to your destruction. So my thought would be just to answer this question in its totality, again, in generalized statements, Um, God wants you to know truth. If addiction's rooted in lies, God's rooted in truth. He wants you to know the truth, which is Jesus, John chapter 8, and and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, what was truth? Truth was Jesus. He wants you, Jesus sets the captives free. So whatever you're caught in, addiction ultimately at the end is a form of bondage. You are in bondage if you are addicted to something. You, and, and it could be something as simple as a smartphone. So sometimes we like normalize, we think addiction of like these high level addictions, they could be rooted in some small level addictions. And you, it's the thing you look to God, you look to be your God. And the only way to get free from that is to actually have Jesus in your life. How do you overcome? A few thoughts real quick on addiction. You must first want to change. Uh, I remember going to a counselor about certain addictions I had in my life. We all have them, just so you know. So it's like we all have addictions. I'm like, God, I want, you know, I want to get over this. And I go to this counselor. And he says, change now, not later. And it costs you less. This is the cheap it's going to cost you to change right now than it ever will be. The longer it goes, the more expensive it gets. And he's so, he's so right. The harder it gets, the longer you deal with that addiction. But you got to want to change in your heart. you got to want to change. That's the first thing. Number two, you need to get closer to Jesus. Again, ultimately, freedom is found and rooted in him. Freedom, captives are set free 
by people rooted in Jesus. And you need Jesus in your life to ultimately get over, especially some of the major addictions in our life. And then the third one is this, and I'll say this, um, you need to get outside help. Um, I think that like Christians do a disservice to undercut and devalue the medical community, to devalue the counselor community, to devalue the, there's nothing wrong with going to a counselor. The Bible says, and a wisdom is found in a multitude of what? Counselors. So like, don't come to me and be like, oh, well, you don't need, you just, you just need Jesus. I know you need Jesus, but sometimes Jesus uses professionals to help you know the steps to find freedom. So don't tell me God doesn't use people. I'm here because God uses people. You're here because God uses people. That, that, you're, you're wrong. Sorry. You need outside help sometimes. It can be found in counselors, prayer partners, groups. That's why we tell you to get into a group, find relationships, find spiritual family here, get connected, seek professional counsel. There's something powerful inside of that. And if you're going through an addiction, that's a big piece to it, in my humble opinion. My final thought on, on just addiction, realize Jesus is the fulfillment of the hole you're trying to fill. It starts with Jesus, and I think inside of Jesus, it'll help you move to your next step. And this is my last question here, and I'm going to wrap up with this. The number one asked question in all of this series, um, and honestly, in my entire life as a pastor, is this question right here. Why do bad things happen to good people? How many of you ever asked that question? Raise your hand, just if you want to be honest in here, right? How many of y'all asked that question like last, this week? Like this week, I, how, why did this happen? How many of y'all asked that question on the way to church? Like somebody cut me off. I'm a good person. What is wrong with that guy? That guy's clearly bad, 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 bad. You know, he's, I, I, I it's a hard question. Um, there's no perfect answer. And, and God is the only person that can truly answer the totality of this question. But I will say this. I will give you some thoughts to think about. You know, because when we think about like this question, a lot of times we think natural disaster. Uh, we think major injustice. Uh, sometimes we think a disease in a family member or a friend, maybe a country in turmoil, maybe something that happened to you personally and you know your intentions were good and somebody came and did a bad thing to you. And so the natural tendency for us as people is to kind of go like, man, I'm a good person. Why did a bad thing happen? Um, and so I will say this. Bible has a lot to say about this. Again, I can't do it justice, but I'm gonna give you a couple of thoughts to think about. John chapter 16 says this. says, in this world, you will have trouble. You will have trouble. You will have trouble. Ever say, I will, I will. Have, trouble. have trouble. So if that's true, you will have trouble. Which means, regard, it didn't say non-Christians will have trouble. It says you, which that in the Greek means you <laughs> will in the Greek. You know what that means in the Greek? Will. You know what trouble means in the Greek there? Trouble. You will have trouble. Other parts of scripture say the rain falls in the just and the unjust. We live in a world that sometimes is just terrible. But I will say this. Um, I think the question is flawed at its core. I think that's a bad question. And here's why. No one is good. No one. The Bible's clear about that. Romans chapter 3 says no one is righteous, not one. No one is good only person, even Jesus said that. Even Jesus said, why you call me good? Only my father's good. God is good. So, so, so no one is good. I think the question's flawed at its core, but I get what you're saying. Let's just, let me take that out for a minute. I'm going to help you with your argument and I'll remove that piece. I think most of us just say, man, a good intention sometimes doesn't keep us from bad things. Good, bad things happen to people. Let's just, why do bad things happen to people? Um, I'll give you two main thoughts on that that I've helped counsel with people. The first is this. Um, you, maybe you're a victim of a broken world. That thing that happened to you, that thing that happened to that person, something that could have happened that didn't happen, that shouldn't have happened, that can't. I mean, the awfulness of the world. Sometimes it's just a victim of a broken world. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, this is, this is interesting. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sin. So there's this, there's this ruler of the world right now, and you don't need, I don't know if you know this or not, but it's Satan. And you know you can tell because the world is pretty terrible. I've, I've noticed that the world doesn't seem to be getting better. Have you ever noticed that? 
It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not a Christian here. The world doesn't seem to be getting better. It seems to be getting worse. Why? Well, because sin is in the world and it's broken. And, and honestly, the enemy has, the Bible says, the enemy has dominion over the world right now. He won't have it forever. God's going to come back. He's going to take it back. He's going to sorry, you're done. You're done. You're done. He's going to win. I know the end of the book, but, but like right now, the, the problem is we, we, we live in some terrible times. The truth is God's will is not always done. Sometimes man's will is done. He allowed us to freely love or reject him. And by definition, that means man's will is done sometimes. And it's terrible. And people try to argue like, well, guy, men are good by nature. Really? Have you turned on the news? Really? Have you looked at social media? Really? Really? People who say stuff like that, they, they just, they want to believe that. I believe we're all catharsis of nature. We want things to work out and everything. I get that. But like, that's not true, biblically or in our life. And so sometimes you're just a victim of a broken world. And I'm sorry for that. The second thing, and I think we love to overlook this part, is sometimes, and I, I'm, you could be feeling a consequence. You could be. Like you could be just reaping what you sowed. I know like Christians love to do this. It's kind of funny. Like <laughs> they'll be like, they get a flat tire and they're like, the devil's after me. No, you just ran over a nail. <laughs> you sound so, so spiritual. You know what I mean? No, you just ran over a nail. No. Well, you know, you, you're struggling with your health and, you know, you, you're like 300 pounds overweight and you can't seem to, you know, be healthy. And you're just like, well, the enemy's after me. No, you just eat terrible. And you don't work out. And you don't care about your health. Well, my marriage is terrible because, you know, the enemy's after me. Well, no, you don't love your wife right. You don't sacrifice and give to her. Well, my kids are just a result of, you know, just the, the society. No, your kids are a result of you didn't parent them right. You didn't say no to them. Sometimes we are victims of the things that we sow. What a man sows, that he will reap. And so sometimes you're just a victim of consequence. And bad things happen to good people because you didn't do the right thing. Um, I, I say this, just, this is just a thought. And I know it's hard to think like this in the moment while you're in the storm. But my final thought on this is it could be maybe God wants to do something big and redeem it. John chapter 9 says, Neither man, this man nor his parents sinned, but... This happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. The disciples asked, why did this bad thing happen to this man who was crippled? And they're just like debating, how did he do something wrong? Did something happen? He goes, and Jesus said, look, and this manipulation of the scriptures were like, well, God sent that cripple. No, that's wrong. That's a manipulation of scripture. But sometimes God, I think, allows things to happen so that he can show how incredible he is. And I don't think he likes it. I don't think he wants it to happen. But my favorite characteristic of Jesus is that he's a redeemer. And that he can take anything that happened that's quote unquote bad to someone who was quote unquote good and make it great. I had a, um, several years back, I, I was a pastor of a church and there was a little girl who was three and she got cancer. I saw her when she was born I saw her grow up. I remember the day she was diagnosed with this cancer. It was a rare form of cancer. I remember being at her bedside inside of the hospital. I remember praying healing over her. I remember speaking God over her. I remember loving Jesus, believing in everything that he got. God is a healer, speaking everything I could. We walked through, they walked through, you know, uh, professionals. We did everything we could. And I'll never forget the night. I'll never forget the night. In the middle of the night, my phone rang. And they said, you need to come to the house. She doesn't have much time. Three-year-old girl. So I, I, I remember driving there and asking this question of God. Because I know you guys have been through some tough things. Do a funeral for a three-year-old. That you saw grow. I remember driving, 
And I walked into a house, and death is a spirit. And you, I walked into this house, and there was death in this house. It was filled with people, sad. She was in her mom's arms, and her mom was holding her, and there were professionals just what they could do nothing for. And it was just, we were just, we were waiting. I was sitting there waiting for a three-year-old miracle to die. Oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you, she wasn't supposed to make it past birth. Oh, I forgot to tell you that the mom wasn't supposed to have a kid. It's a miracle. So I walk in, there's death in the house. And I saw a baby die. That's hard. And I remember wrestling with this. It was hard, you know, because I'm a pastor and I want good things for people. I love you. You need to know this. I love you. If anything I've said offended you or makes you feel hurt, that is not my heart. My, my heart is that you would see Jesus and that God would do great things in your life. I'm trying to protect you. Pastors, feed, lead, correct, and protect, okay? But I drove home that night feeling like, I don't understand. I, don't, I wrestle with this. And I did her funeral. And at the end of her funeral, I don't remember what I said, you know? <laughs> what do you say? And I walked up, and her, new, her story had gotten out to the, to the newspapers. They had followed her story. There's thousands of people there. She walked. I, I, I walk up do the funeral I walk off the platform she's laying there and I'm standing next to her, her casket and someone walked up to me and said I gave my life to Jesus because she loved coming to church and she used to wear I love Jesus shirts all the time and he walked away and another one gave my life to Jesus because of Braylon and then another one I gave my life to Jesus because of Braylon and another one and I gave my life to Jesus and I was there for like an hour shaking hands with people that gave their life to God and saw like literally people were like man I gave my life to Jesus when we found out about her story and how my marriage changed and my kids came back to God and like our families together and I'm like God is like showing right now this scripture that he could redeem every bad thing. And you need to know this, that like if you're going through something bad or you see bad things and you feel like it's not fair, I am so sorry as a pastor. My heart breaks for you. But please know that we only see a small piece of the story. And I think God's writing, if you let him, he can write an incredible story with your life. An incredible story with the people that are struggling, not because he likes to see bad things happen, but because he takes what the enemy meant for evil and he can make it good. And one day I get to see Braylon and tell her that story. Um, it doesn't answer all the questions. It doesn't always make you feel good. But I will say this. In that moment, I couldn't help but say, not just why bad things happen to good people. I started to say, in light of this bad thing happening, what do I do now? And I think that's a better question to ask when something bad happens. And that's my prayer for you and for our church and for our world.